This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. And hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham, with me of course is the absolutely fantastic Jojo, as I usually will say to her, hello to you Jojo, hello. Hello Graham, how are you doing today? Jojo, I'm doing alright, you know, I've got a day off and stuff, you know, and uh, we are recording on this basically new day for a new recording day for us, yeah. which means a new publishing day for our podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a great moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, so happy Thanksgiving to you if you are in the United States. This episode will actually come out on Apple Podcast in 8 hours on the day of Thanksgiving. If you don't listen to podcasts on that day because you're too stuffed with turkey and shit, you can always listen to it later <laughs> during the week or during the weekend, right, Jojo? That's right. Yep. If you're stir- stuffed with turkey and drunk with power. <laughs> drunk with power? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you are not in the United States and you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, still, happy Thanksgiving to you. This is, you know, uh, turkey day for us. It's what most people think it is. It's the day to be grateful for things we have too much of. Uh, is that what it is basically and then you know you have black friday the day after so you can just throw all that shit out the window and capitalize 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 and buy more stuff and buy more stuff so yeah right this is fantastic (laughs) anyway (laughs) starting out dark (laughs) today we are discussing the series the devil's hour on um amazon prime and I don't know what drew me to this series, but because I was the one who suggested let's watch it, and I have to say that while watching the series, I kind of like struggled watching it until, but I was very glad that I stuck to the end with it, Jojo. So we are going to talk about this one, and what what do you what, what is your personal opinion about this series? Because you watched it long before I even suggested watching it. I what, did. What, what made you want to watch it? Peter Capaldi. I, I love Peter Capaldi. I know I think he's fantastic. And when I saw that he was in this and I read a little tiny bit about it, I was like, this is worth giving a shot. And it was a slow burn, but it hooked me after, I think, the second episode. And um, yeah. Peter Capaldi to me is like the Scottish Al Pacino in more, in more than one respect. I, I love this guy. He was... Yeah. Not necessarily my very favorite doctor, but I thought he was a he was a great doctor. He brought elements to the doctor that we hadn't seen since the first um roundabout of the doctor during the nineteen sixties and seventies. And I like the fact that he went so far back with, with Doctor Who in terms of personality, in terms of that regeneration of Doctor Who, even though my wife wasn't wasn't a fan, but I'm, I love Peter Capaldi too. And I think if you, if I'm being being honest, that was what why I decided. Okay, maybe we should watch these. I, I have to say though that it's a warning to anyone who, if you struggle with this show because you are having a hard time following what's going on and where the show is going to lead, I don't know if that is intentional, but. 
if you stick with it, you will see where it leads and you will it will be a huge, huge, huge aha moment. Also, part of the reason I want to talk about this show is because there is a threshold in which pseudoscience becomes science and it takes courageous scientists to actually find the source of pseudoscience. It, it, it's it's just the whole thing about, you know, where there's where there was fire, there's ash, right? And so sometimes scientists might become a bit mm-hmm. too uh, how, uh, arrogant to even discuss some subject matters because they always think there's no point in discussing these. The science is clear in these. And I'm going to put some examples when once we start talking about this about this because I want to draw the draw the parallels between what happens how interpreting dreams became part of a science uh, for scientific method in terms of psychotherapy and well why is it that we still have such a simplistic idea of what uh, déjà vu means, right? So, Giorgio, if you want to put it in your own words, explain to our audience mm-hmm. what this series is about. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this series is about it. it. It begins sort of dealing with the, the life of a social worker named Lucy. She's dealing with life and relationships. She's going through a separation. She has a son who is uh, neurodivergent or, or what, whatever the, the correct terminology would be. He's struggling. She's apparently had him tested and he's not autistic and he's not this and he's not that. But um, so she's, she's just, life is not great for her at the moment. She's struggling because of her separation. She's trying to figure out who she is in the world because of that. And the to add on to that, she has a strange phenomena that's been happening to her for a very long time in that she wakes up every single night at 3.33 a.m., which in folklore is considered the devil's hour or the witching hour, anywhere between 3 and 4 a.m. That, that is true. I can attest to that being from Haiti and, yeah, and, and Haiti you too. know okay. a little right. bit about the the uh, folklore of witching and witchcraft and shit like that, like the, the hour between three, you know, 3.30, 3.33, that means something mainly because what's good is the half of six. But please continue. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> um, so she every, every time she wakes up, it's not just that she wakes up, it's that she's woken up from some kind of a horrible nightmare and in some cases, her nightmares come true. And this has happened ever since she has been, ever since she started having this from a young age. And she doesn't really know how to explain it. And she doesn't really know how to tell anybody about it without them thinking she's completely insane. So she just kind of brushes it off as deja vu. But where the series picks up is things have gotten a lot more intense with her, her devil's hour wake up. Her son is becoming even more withdrawn and a little more strange. 
And uh, at the same time, there is some brutal murders that happen around her, and the police sort of connect her to these through the hunt for a serial killer. And so this is about Lucy's story, speaking with the serial killer, and trying to discover the cause of her strange dreams without being like, I'm completely nuts. Yes. So the... The beauty of this of this show, the beauty of this story, is that it leaves you with questions that you don't know what the answer is, and you're fine with it. The reason being is because the first question you have to ask yourself is, was there a serial killer? One. Mm -hmm. Two. Mm -hmm. Is there some measure of truth to what the ultimate character in this story tell us? Or is he a completely delusional individual who has created an entire fantasy based on his own, again, delusion and uh, self-aggrandizing personality? And so... This is the beauty of it, but the more than dreaming, what this series deals a lot with is the the science behind déjà vu, and the 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 simplest explanation or the the scientific explanation of déjà vu is the fact that one side of your brain processes information a bit faster than the other one. And so by the time the other side processes that information, it almost seems as though you have, you're just remembering something you saw just as it happens. That is incredibly plausible. And in terms of science, I find that to be quite logical, right? Mm -hmm. But <laughs> the reason why I can't bring myself to be always in complete agreement with this explanation of déjà vu is because, again, scientists haven't dedicated enough time, in my view, to studying really the phenomenon of déjà vu. It's just, it seems like, it sounds more like they came up with an explanation that was satisfactory enough for the scientific community, and they said, this is what we conclude, boom. Of course, yes, they may have done some research and blah, blah, blah. But was there someone who was willing to go a bit further? Why is that important? Because throughout the 16th, 17th, 18th century, the same thing happened with dreaming, with the interpretation of dreams. No scientists, no self-respecting scientists wanted to find out, wanted to investigate or research what is behind dreaming and what, do the, what does it mean when you dream? Except for a young German scholar named Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud didn't care. He didn't care about the prestige that he could have lost by going a bit deeper into examining what dreaming means. And... He went on and did it and wrote books about it. And eventually, 
the interpretation of dreaming actually became part of the science of of behavioral science and in psychiatry and psychotherapy and all of that, right? Because there was more to dreaming than indigestion, as many you know, many scientists dismissed it before as, yeah, I mean, dreaming is complete nonsense. It's just most likely... It's just your yeah. brain making pretty pictures because <laughs> it's bored. Most likely, <laughs> if your dream is because maybe you, you liked your dinner or maybe something in your dinner wasn't seen quite well in your stomach, and as that happened, you had dreams. If you had not nightmare, that's most likely what happened. But Freud, I believe it was his father who died when he was at a very early age. And throughout his childhood and his early adulthood, he continually, consistently dreamed about his father. And he wanted to find out what exactly, what, what is there for me to know? You know, what is this unfinished business with my father that I, mm-hmm. I, I can't seem to let go of these dreams? And so when he tried to find answers, his fellow scientists were like, no, nah, man, this is, there's nothing to, nothing here. And he said, you guys can, you know, keep your theory, but I'm going to work on this and see where I can go with it and what explanations I can come up with. And so for me, that to me seems to be the same thing, the dismissive attitude that I think the scientific community has towards deja vu. And maybe I am just hanging on to some hope that is not there, but I seem, I feel, I feel very strongly about the fact that there might be some larger explanations to deja vu. What do you think, Jojo? Deja vu, I, I think pretty much everybody on the planet has experienced it at some point in their life. Um, I used to get it a lot when I was a kid, much more often than I do now. And it is very unsettling. It's, it's, it is a complete feeling that you have absolutely done this exact same thing before down to, you know, what the person is going to say next or do next. Um, and I do agree with you in that there has been, as far as I know, very little solid uh, scientific research into it beyond kind of a, well, this must be what it is because that makes common sense. But as we learn, as we've, with anything with science, common sense does not really apply when it comes to the human right. brain. <laughs> Right. Um, and the human brain, the human brain actually made up common sense as a concept on its own. So, you know, it, 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 the brain named itself, the brain named deja vu. So the brain came up with the idea of what deja vu is. So I, I do think that there is something there that is, should it at least be, you know, it would be interesting to see the MRI of someone who had deja vu, for example, as they had deja vu. Obviously, we can't predict when it's going to happen, which is what makes right. it so difficult. But but <laughs> yeah. it, it, that would be fascinating. I mean, there was the case recently of the gentleman who actually died while he was having an MRI, and they got to watch the brain activity as the brain died. 
And they learned all kinds of things that they didn't know before. And that was a pure accident. They didn't, they didn't know the man was going to die in the MRI. Yeah. Um, hey, man, are you going to die soon? <laughs> are you going to die? Hop on this machine. Just, <laughs> just slide you in there and see what happens. But I, I just the, the idea of that is, is fascinating. And so, yeah, I would, I would like there to be some sort of scientific study. It would be interesting to see if there was a way to trigger deja vu, which I don't think there's ever been. That would anything be done with that if there was a way to go you know these particular electrical impulses because they've found you know electrical impulses they can control some reactions uh some emotional reactions to things through small electric shocks and that kind of thing there's been studies done with that so i i know that a lot of studies are done on mice so it's difficult to ask a mouse if they have deja vu yeah so that's the that's that's you know because their brains are so similar to ours mice but i i do think that it would be wonderful to to learn more about it and not just have it go oh this is how it is and of course, uh, uh, immense respect to the scientific community, but as you said, and as I've read, I don't really know that there's been a huge amount of actual hard data that's been looked at when it comes to deja vu, as opposed to just this is what it is. And if you happen to stop on to stumble upon this show for the very first time in your life, upon this this podcast, you're like, I thought they were supposed to be talking about a series. Why are they talking about deja vu? It is because. The series that we are discussing, The Devil's Hour, is very much about, it deals a great deal, I want to say, maybe, with, with, you know, the phenomenon of deja vu. And so it, it got me thinking because this, as you said, Jojo, this is something that happens to all of us. This is something that happens to all of us. But at the same time, is it something that can be chronic and when it's chronic how much of it how much does it predict i suppose the question is right because when you have experienced deja vu are you seeing something that you thought just happened or you at some point saw happening or is it something that predicts Maybe this will happen, and then later on you see it happen. What have been your experience? For me, it has been a very strong feeling of I have been here before. I have done this exact thing before. This person is going to come and say this thing. And, you know, it could be something totally random as opposed to like, oh, Jeff's going to come in and be like, good morning. You know, yeah, that, right. that would be stupid. But it would yes. be something along the lines of like, if I've got family staying with me and they haven't stayed with me in a very long time. This is just an example. This is right. you know, like necessarily. But, you know, and my father walked in the room and said, hey, I just cut my finger off. Not that that's ever happened. But that is the kind of of of, of thing I have experienced. It's just, yeah. a, you know, it's, it's, it's as bizarre and specific as that, as opposed exactly. to just something that has happened every single day. Because exactly. if it happened every day, it would be like, okay, that's that makes sense. Yeah, that's you know, that makes sense. that's my, life going on a loop. <laughs> right, exactly. My brain is like, okay, yeah, this has happened so many times that it's going to happen right now. And sure, okay, it yeah. has. But, yeah. And it's happened to me in places that I have never been before, you know, like uh, physically 
have never ever actually been I've never been in this particular museum but if I go in this room I know this painting is going to yes. be in here yes and you know and, and a lot of people will be like okay so that happens because you looked up the museum beforehand or you did this beforehand or somebody talked about it or whatever but to say to that I know that as a child, we didn't have the internet. <laughs> so there was absolutely no way for me to know what was going what painting was going to be in the room of that museum, especially when we're talking about like I'm not talking about the Mona Lisa or anything folks, you know, it's not like yeah. there's people buzzing sure. and talking about, "Oh my god, you can't wait till you the next room and blah blah blah." You know, it's just like, "Oh, there's going to be a painting in that room of of donkeys in a field by some unknown artist." Oh, look, right. there it is. So yes, that's to me that's fascinating. What what about you? What have your experience? Are they similar or are they? So the thing for me is that, to my recollection, my experience with déjà vu has never been something that immediately happened. The reason being is because most of the time I experience déjà vu, it's something I can remember happening exactly like that. Me seeing it happening. It's almost as if a déjà vu that I experienced as a child, and then it happens now. Mm -hmm. You know, and and especially like for an immigrant kid like me back in back in the time, right? It's just that I remember vividly going through stuff where somebody says something, and then all of a sudden, boom! At this age, somebody says that thing, and I remember the place and the face in the exact words that were said. And I'm like, how could I possibly? And normally deja vu is not a question of I'm going, I'm predicting you're going to say this or you're going to do that. Deja vu is, is just, it happens and all of a sudden it hits you. Holy shit, I've been here before. This yes. happened to me. This happened, I saw this happen. No, maybe it didn't happen, but I saw it happen in my head yes. at some point. Yes, yes, yes. In this is to me why th there has to be a genius behind this show because this is someone or somebody who took these experiences and decided what if we created an entire web of macabre uh, science fiction in an absolutely perfect storytelling style to talk about this particular issue in this series. And I tell you, maybe the writing doesn't make it a great or the greatest followable series ever. Because like I said, I, I seriously considered giving up on the show not until episode three, halfway through episode three, until I started to see the angle. And for me, the biggest problem with this series is you just can't see the angle to it for far too long. And I don't know if maybe I'm, as I get older, I'm a, I'm a bit less smart that I, I want... <laughs> I, I want, throw me a bone, <laughs> you know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So so tell me why episode two made it for you. Why episode two told you, yeah, I have to continue watching this. I, 
You know, that's a really good question because it, it wasn't any like one thing in particular that happened. I think it was a culmination of the performances. And I I I think I started to get kind of an idea of of what we were what the writer was was going for. And I wanted to see one, I wanted to see if I was right. And two, I wanted to see if it was going to how it was going to play out. I wanted to see where they took this because it was a very interesting concept to me. And I was like, there's a lot of different ways this could play out. It could play out straight, mundane, and boring. <laughs> Not, but you know what I mean? Like just right. a regular cop yeah. story. Could be just a regular cop story. Or we could go a little supernatural with this, or we could go a little, like there's, there's a lot of different ways this could go. And I think ultimately the direction that it did go in is fantastic. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I just, I am glad I hung in there, but I, I agree with you 100%. It is a very slow burn. And the first episode is, is, is very slow. And I, part of me wonders if it isn't a case of, um, I don't know, the, the writer on this, as you said, is, 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 I don't know, it was almost like he was like, okay, I want to lose the people. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that uh, that aren't going to get this, so let's lose them early on. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And then then, but everybody else is gonna is gonna stick with it. I don't yeah, know. Whoever just... stays will will get to this to the to the yeah. end of it and and say, oh, and say, oh my god, yeah. Because there to me there are echoes of the OA in this. I do see some of the There's OA. A bit in of this. that, yes. That is something that that made me stick around too, because um, I felt that from the very first episode. I was like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit of the the specialness of the OA is coming out of this for me. And yeah. I love the OA so much. I was like, anything I'll, I'll, take, I'll take anything. Give me, give me some of that OA goodness. But yeah, so uh, there are echoes of that in here and there's just, just little bits and pieces, but I think that just speaks to how good the show is. I tell you, I tell you one thing for me, like this child actor is absolutely <laughs> fantastic little dude. Isn't he fantastic? Yo, I was like, how can he go through these scenes without even fucking laughing? I know. You know, because like, you know, part of the character is that he never, he doesn't show emotions. Yes. And for me, it's, for an adult, it's very hard to not show emotion. Uh, how is it that a child actor, and he's a young kid, like, I, I don't think he's, Anything but maybe 10, right? Yeah, how, I would say probably. Yeah, how do you go through an entire filming of a series in nil, nil, absolutely nil, the character that doesn't express any emotion? Does not express... So much so that the very first time I saw him laugh... It cribbed the bloody hell out of me. <laughs> I know. Does, does that make I sense? I know. It does. It makes perfect sense because it's like, wh what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like if a statue suddenly started laughing. Exactly. <clears throat> Do you remember yeah. those, the whipping angels on yeah. uh, Doctor Who? Yeah. When all of a sudden, yeah. they have, like, you turn around, next thing you see them with the expressions in their faces. That's the kind of feeling I had when he first laughed, especially. Because it was a belly laugh, too. Yeah. You know, it was like, huh, 
And then he repeated the joke to himself, which made you understand. Oh, so he fi- he got it. He yeah. got it. He's yeah. very. He's not a dumb little dude. He's actually a, a, a little genius. The kid. Yes. Uh, the character. It's yeah. just that it's almost impossible to understand a child who. I mean, I I don't think. To be honest, I don't think most adults put a lot of. Uh, work in understanding children Agreed. it's mostly what 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 we must do as adults and i say this based on my own experience as a, when i was a kid is that we expect kids to be a certain way and if they're not that way then there's something wrong with you and you get chastised and you get punished you get and you get often asked why can't you be like your brother why can't you be like your little cousins why can't yeah. you be like so and so yeah. Why can't and, you be like me when I was a kid? I was perfect. Oh, yes. There is no damn parent that wasn't a genius in school, did all <laughs> of their homework, obedient <laughs> to their parents, and so on. Did and so wrong. No. Yeah, exactly. Always ask for permission. Yeah, exactly. No, so, I agree. And so for me, that was the case with this kid. And the only person who actually said, you know what, man? I'm going to fucking love you no matter what. No matter what they think of you, I know you're special and not in a bad way. I know you're special. I know you're going through some stuff that are larger than anybody else's brain can can comprehend. Yes. I'm going to yes. stick with you. I am going to stick with you. And this was this was beautiful in that way for me. And yeah. that's why that's why I stuck with the show because I'm like I have to see if this kid is going to cry. <laughs> I I love the dynamic of the mother figure because um, the actress is is brilliant that portrays Lucy, but she, Lucy is also beautifully written and she is written sympathetically, but she's not written in in a maudlin way at all. She's not like this. I don't know. Uh, saintly figure that that right. you, you know she's not perfect or anything like that but yes. she has this beautiful unwavering belief that her son loves her mm-hmm. and that's enough for her she wants him to be happy she wants to understand what's going on she wants to know what his place in the world is so that he can help find it but at the same time she does not need him to express love or to say love for her to know that he loves her. And that's, I think, is is wonderful and also a huge juxtaposition to everybody else around Isaac because he is, everybody else, he has to give them something for him, right. for them to believe that he loves them. You know, yes. we, we have to, we have to, you have to show emotion or you have to show that you're hurt or you have to show this or show that, or you have to say it. And he doesn't have the ability to do that or doesn't understand the ability to do that. And I love that his mother is, he loves me and I know he loves me. And that's the end of that. And yeah. it, it's your fault that you can't comprehend that he loves you. Exactly. If you do not understand my child, that is your problem. That's your issue. But don't tell me. And I like how she got defensive with the whole, no, listen, he's not autistic. He's not this. He's not that. Do not label my child. He's been through every pediatric psychiatrist in the area. 
Yes. He's not special education. He doesn't need any of that. The only thing he needs is for you to leave him the fuck alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's basically yeah. it. You know, because Isaac actually is a very good little dude. He doesn't misbehave. He doesn't no. do shit that, you know, he's not supposed to do. He actually does exactly what you tell him to do. And the other thing is, as she says, he does not lie. Yes. He does not lie. Yes. Because you know you've lost control of a child the first time you realize, oh my God, this little motherfucker just lied to me. Yeah. That is, that is the, that's it. The moment that your little nieces, and you know how we do. I mean, we always ask questions even though we know the answer. It's just we're looking for, are you going to be honest? Yeah. And it breaks your heart. When you ask your, your child, your godchild, your niece and nephew, this, tell me, honestly, did you do this? And they freaking look at you and lie. And you're like, okay, I've lost them. I've lost them. Right? That's that's the thing that doesn't happen with Isaac. Yeah. You know, so she's she's secure in the idea that if you if they told you he did this and you believe it because he's weird. You're wrong because he does not lie. He doesn't do this kind of shit. Yep. So the character of, of, of Lucy, Lucy Chambers really is, as you said, is not necessarily, she is an imperfect character, but she's a likable character because she is not looking to look perfect in anybody's eyes. She is not looking to, you know how like, I feel like a lot of characters about mothers are written with this obsession of being good mothers. Yep. Oh, I'm a good mother. I'm a good mother. I just want to be a good parent. I just want to be a good parent. And truthfully, it's weird that we are so obsessed with that because being a parent is one of the very few things in life that you become it, but you will never be prepared to be it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, no. Well, like, how can you? I, I mean, you know how, like, mom and dad will freaking move in with you for one month to tell you exactly what to do with your firstborn and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, you're like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> you know, by the time you get, you have the second one, oh, yeah, he's got a scratch on his knee. Okay, man, just put some water in it. We're good. <laughs> you know, with the first one, you're like, oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. The obsession of being a good parent goes away. But except in, in, in you know, series and movies, movie characters, it's all about, I'm a good parent. I want to be a good parent. I'm an obsessed with being a good parent. Lucy just takes it one day at a time with her child. Yes. And it's beautiful because she loses it sometimes with him. Mm -hmm. She loses because, like, my dude will just creep up on you in the middle of the night and just stare at you with, without saying shit. And I'm going to tell you something. My dogs sometimes do that, and I, I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? Can you just... <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine if your dog does that. Imagine if it's an 
eight-year-old just standing there watching you. So, you know, I can actually speak to this from the side of a child because I was the creepy child that would do that. Oh, really, Georgia? <laughs> I was. Here's the I crazy was. thing. I can't actually, I can't believe it. Though. Yeah, yeah, I was. Because I was, I, I was very, I hated to wake anybody up. I absolutely hated to wake anybody up. But I would have, as kids do, issues in the middle of the night. You know, you've, you've vomited or you've had a bad dream or something has happened. So I would go and stand by my father's side of the bed because my mother, shit, wouldn't wake up my mom. You could have an explode a nuclear bomb outside the window and she ain't going to wake up. But, That's me right there. <laughs> but I would go and stand by the side of the bed where dad was and just silently pray that he would wake up and help me. And I can say from an from the child's standpoint to have the adult go, oh my God, <laughs> is <laughs> you feel terrible, you do as a or at least I did. I felt terrible, but at the same time the relief was like, oh thank you, Jesus, they woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to say anything, I didn't have to shake them, I didn't have to do anything. <clears throat> of course, the parrot is like, oh my God, and you know, everything else. But as a kid, you're just like, oh, <sighs> doing that one time to my sister when she came to visit and she I, I I adored my sister and she was much older than me and I just liked to stare at her because I'm, I was a creepy little kid and I'm a creepy adult and so she was asleep and I I it was to me it was late it was probably like five o'clock in the morning but to me I was like oh my god why isn't she awake you know oh, I snuck into her room and I just stood there and was just watching her because I thought she was beautiful and she woke up and it was, fuck! <laughs> and oh I didn't know God. what that word was because my parents had been really good at keeping that away from me. <laughs> I didn't know what that was, but I know what it was, what it is now. And at the time, I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I just thought you were beautiful. But it, it, when you've scared somebody to death, their reaction, it, it doesn't matter if you tell them that, that yeah. you're just looking at them because you thought they were beautiful. It's still creepy. <laughs> yeah. Do you, know, do you know the crazy thing is my son, he wouldn't just stay there and, and, and stare at you, but he would just go in silently and then tap you on the shoulder three times. <laughs> It's such a specific thing. He would just tap you on the shoulder three times. And then, like me, my, my wife, you just you just take one step and she's awake. Mm-hmm. Man, no, man, I'm sleeping. <laughs> and you have to really wake me up. And so sometimes he'd be like trying to wake me up and I'd be like, I'm sleeping here. And, I, and then he would just like lose it, just shake me like, daddy! I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, but kids, kids do. I mean, it doesn't have to take a kid like Isaac to scare the bejesus out of you. That's for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah, uh, well, I, all of this to say that you know, part of what fascinates me about the character of Lucy Chambers is that, again, she is a fantastic mother, but she's not obsessed with showing it to the world or anything like that. She just you know, she's a human being who goes through shit with a kid that is, by everyone's standards, not normal. Yeah. But the extreme to which the writers take the phenomenon of uh, deja vu is what 
I'd like to explore. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of cases like this in which somebody can prevent things from happening based on déjà vu? I Is that even possible? I don't know that I have. I don't know that I have. And I I haven't with anybody that I've known personally. I can say that definitely. But and so so let me let me ask the question here. So if you were a juror and you listen to Gideon's account of what he's done and why he's done what he's done, would you convict or would you think this dude needs help? He needs mental help. This dude needs help. I mean, that's you know, if we're if we're gonna talk about a real real world scenario here. Yeah then yeah you're gonna you're going you have to even though even if it's compelling would you not have any what if as to what if there is something there yeah i would have a what if which is probably a good reason to recuse yourself as a (laughs) exactly that's that's exactly after i watched this series i'm like i don't think i could be a juror here yeah because you know, I, I'm okay. I understand the moral imperative, and, and perhaps it's morally corrupt to punish anyone preventatively. There's no, if I haven't done shit, you can't punish me for what I've done. I've not done just because something tells you I will end up doing such or such thing, right? So that in and of itself, morally, is wrong. Humanly, there's there's no denying that that right there is, there's no room for that. But if you had someone as compelling and as eloquent as Gideon explaining to you, this is what I've done. Because here's the crazy thing, though, for Better or for worse, the only person Gideon has killed is his father. Yes. I think. Yeah. Isn't that right? I, I, it, well, by the end of the episode, you're not quite sure because of, yeah. <laughs> by the end of the series, I should say. Yes, there's that. <clears throat> yeah. There's um, that. But at the, for, for the, the, the OG Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the yeah, for the OG Gideon, he actually really never killed anyone. Yeah, as as far as you can tell. Yeah, based based on what he's told you. True. But I mean, there's a there's a body count there. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> so yes. when you watch this series, arrive to your own conclusion. And if you would like to have a chat with us about it, that is, that we would love to do that. We would love to listen to what you have to say. But we highly recommend this series. And I'm going to say this, Jojo. This series to me is actually a five-star series. I agree with honest. you. I agree with you 100%. I do. This this is fantastic from the writing to the story to the performances to the casting. It's just It's just practically perfect in every way. Absolutely fantastic. So uh, the cast here, as we said, led by Jessica Rain as Lucy Chambers, Peter Capaldi as Gideon, 
Nikesh Patel as Ravi Dillon. Mike Stevens actually is is someone that most people who've watched uh, Ted Lasso will will know because he plays the character of uh, Jamie Tart on the series Ted Lasso. It was actually unbelievable to see him elsewhere. <laughs> for me, he's 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 Jamie Tart, and also Mira Sial or Mira Sayal as Dr. Ruby Bennett. She was absolutely fantastic. She was fantastic. Yeah. She was fantastic. Barbara Alex. Martin also was great. Yep. Yeah. Um, Alex Ferns, I enjoyed his performance as. Hello, he always plays the hard hard ass cop. Yes. Always, always plays a hard ass cop. Yeah. Yes, he was. And the child, Benjamin. Is it Chivers? I think so. Uh, and it looks like this is like the first thing he's done. He's, he's, uh, or the first thing that's been released that he's done. Bloody so. Kid is insane. He's if, fantastic. If, if nothing else, watch this show for this kid because he, he will surprise you. We have to call it a day in this episode. And again, we're more than willing to have an extended chat about this episode with you. If you would like to do so, just shoot us in a, a, a text, an email, put a comment on our uh, YouTube channel, and we can come back and, and, and have an extended chat. But yeah, this has been great. The show is called The Devil's, the Devil's Hour, and this is our series review. Jojo, what do you rate this show on your own, in your own opinion? Oh, I agree. Five stars. Five stars, right? Yeah. And that, that is that. You can find us on social media. You know where to go if you're looking for us. And we will see you next time. Again, thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, and if you listened to this episode on our regular, regular podcast uh, platforms, and if it's your first time, subscribe, come back. We'll be here every Thursday with new episodes for you. Thanks very much for me. And for Jojo, this is goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group.